All right, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Well, that's better. Good to see you all. You ready to jump in the Word of God? Yeah? You really? Are you hungry? Are you hungry for God? You know, unless you get hungry for God, you don't find God. You know, the psalmist said, uh, as a deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O God, the living God. When shall I come before your face? Tears have been my only food both day and night. Until you come to that place, you don't find him in his fullness. You know about him, but you don't know him. And see, knowing God is why we exist. To know him, the creator, designer, maker of our very soul. When you were knit in your mother's womb, the psalmist said in 139, it was for a purpose. God shaped you for a reason. And everything about us cries out to know him, to know him better, to know him fuller. I get asked a lot of times, what's, what's the basics? What do you need? What are the three big things that people need in their life? And I think the, the first thing is prayer. The reason that we need prayer is prayer is getting to know the Father. And if you don't know the Father, you see, you don't know God. And you know the Father through the Son. He's the mediator between God and man. And so you go to the, the Son, you meet the Father, and you get to know him. And so you get to know his heart. And once you know his heart, then the Christian life becomes easier. Because you're not second-guessing God. Oh, God, why'd you do that? And God, what about this? And God, I prayed, and how come they got blessed? I didn't get blessed. What's going on, God? The second thing is read, and of course, that's the Bible. And the reason that we need to read the Bible is because we need to know what God's heart is on every matter that that concerns us. We need to know what he has to say, and then we need to know what our duty is. That is, what are we supposed to do because we know God? And so without reading the Bible, you can't know what you're supposed to do. You can't tie in to the, to the message and the law of God. You see, when God revealed the word, he called it the law. When he gave the Ten Commandments, he said these are commandments, not suggestions. Hello? And then the third thing is to give. And the reason that giving is so important in our life is because it releases us from the bondage of greed, and there's no one that is not subject to that. It is a temptation on every level, regardless what your zip code is, regardless what your economic status is, it is a beast that we have to conquer. But when I release, I'm released from greed, because I realize it's bigger than me, life is bigger than me, and I can't hold on to everything that I have. One of the stories that I wanna tell you, start with about prayer, uh, revolves around this matter of, um, of finding out where God is and how God has revealed himself to you. When we started uh, looking for a building and we found this building, we put an offer on it, and many of you have heard this story, but there's another part of it you probably haven't heard. But we had contacted over 100 banks, 110 I think to be exact, and we were told no by every one of them. We were just too new uh, and we didn't qualify for a loan. 
Now, the miracle of that story is that that loan came to us from an unexpected source, and it was from application to, to funding, it was five days. But it was the last five days. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever noticed how God loves the last five days, right? Last five minutes, maybe. But what you may not know is um, I was praying. We were in a 21-day fast, and as I was praying, God gave me this vision, and it was a vision of the vault of heaven. And I was standing inside this vault of heaven, and it had two doors on it, and both of them were open. And I was standing there all alone, and then I looked over, and there was a, a bookcase with notebooks on it. And one of the notebooks had uh, Influence Church Loan. And I opened it up, and it was just blank pages. I said, well, that makes sense. We've had 110 no's. This makes complete sense. And then there appeared an angel or a messenger of some kind next to me, and I said, what is this? He said, this is your loan. And I said, but it's empty. That's because you have to pass it from heaven to earth, throw it out the doors of the vault. And as I threw it out the doors of the vault, that notebook turned into gold coins that fell to earth. You see, and when we pray, we are praying from heaven to earth. We are calling on the abundance of heaven, not the scarcity of earth. Not our lack here, but his abundance there. It's not about what you have or what you can see or what you may have. It's about what he possesses, and he, he owns all things. And all things are his for distribution when he gets ready. One of the people that shaped my life early was a woman by the name of Lucy S. She was from Wales, and she told these stories of the great Welsh revival. And I was always fascinated with uh, this movement of God that took hold of Wales um, more than 100 years ago, and uh, one of the great stories was told by Rhys Howells. Rhys Howells was the founder, and during the World War II, Rhys Howells all those students who had not gone off to war, and there was about 120, they would spend eight hours every day, seven days a week, interceding for the war. And it's remarkable how you can take and connect the dots between what they were praying and when things happened during the war. One story in particular took place in North Africa in a place called El Alamein. And in that place, it was a battle between um, the British Army, the Eighth Army, with, Rom, uh, with um, Montgomery facing against the German army, a guy named Rommel. And the Germans were clearly winning the battle. And they were superior in that moment. Both sides were slugging it out. They had no food, they had no water, and it was just a matter of who could hang on the longest. And as it turned out, the British army ha engineers had constructed a pipeline of water to get water to the troops but they ran salt water through it to test it first to make sure it was sound. The Germans came upon it, not knowing it was salt water, shot holes in it, and all of them began to drink salt water, which dehydrated them even more. The next sight they saw was not tanks coming over the top of the hill. It was the Germans with white surrender flags surrendering in that very moment. Now, what makes the story amazing is we know exactly when that happened. We also know exactly when a team of 120 in Wales were interceding, and what they were interceding for was the battle at El Alamein, and they were praying that the Germans would surrender so there wouldn't be a greater loss of life. Now, you say, well, that's a coincidence. That's just how things work. No, that's the way God works. And if it is coincidence, then I've found every time I pray, there's a coincidence. 
God just seems to work. A lot of people are content to work, to operate by luck. But luck is fate, and it never seemed real lucky to me. Have you ever noticed one of the symbols of luck is a rabbit's foot? I don't know if the three-legged rabbit running around would appreciate that. Or how about a lost horseshoe? A horse without one shoe doesn't seem lucky to me. Four-leaf clover, what do you do? You pick it so you can show everybody, and it dies immediately. You see, whenever you put your, build your life into fate instead of faith, that's what you get. People ask, well, what star were you born under? Well, Bethlehem star. Amen? You see, I'm not, my life is not determined by the astronomical signs. It, rather, it is determined by Jesus Christ, the sovereign God, the Holy Spirit of God, who put in me everything I need and wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. That is where my life is going. That's what's important to me, amen? So let's talk about prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. I hear people say all the time, well, I, I really can't pray. And I ask them, can you talk? And they say, well, yes, I can talk. Well, that's what it is. And they say, you know what I mean. I hear people pray, and they pray so well. They may not pray well at all. They just may have good English. And if you command the language, it sounds like you're connecting. But remember, prayer's about connecting with God, not the flowery words you use or how many four or five-syllable words are in your belt. Think about this. If this building were on fire, and it's not, by the way, I just want to give that disclaimer, how would you pray? What would you say? Would you say something like this? Oh, Lord, thou who knoweth that this building doth burn, we pray that you would send holy messengers with water hoses immediately. Or would you just say, help, call the fire department? Well, when you're praying, it's the latter, not the former. God is not interested how many words you can link together. He's interested, can you link your heart to his heart? Because you see, prayer is, when you really stop to think about it, it's an amazing thing. Because God uses prayer to accomplish his purpose. You see, what is the purpose of prayer? It's not just a therapeutic exercise. You just say, I pray, I feel better after I pray. If that were the only purpose of it, it would be purposeless. The purpose of it is to connect with God and in some cases change the heart and the mind of God. And there are times in Scripture where God was intent on doing one thing. Abraham prayed and beseeched the Lord, and God shifted what he was doing. You see, so God has a divine partnership with prayer whereby you connect with him in such an intimate way in the spirit realm that you, he, you become his uh, ambassador and his, his leader here on earth to move and shift things on earth for the glory of God. That's what we were designed to do. God's will, you'll find, never violates his word, though. Some people say, oh, I was praying and God told me to do this, and I go, well, that's in contradiction to the word of God, so that can't be a good prayer. You just got, you were listening to you and not God, because it will never violate his word. Now, when we talk about the will of God, I want to give you an illustration here that might help. I want you to think about the will of God, start out with the sovereignty of God. When you think about the sovereignty of God, what we mean by that is that God is over everything. God's plan for the universe is set. And he doesn't change that plan. But within the sovereign will of God, there is also a permissive will of God. So a lot of people say, well, you know, um, what do you think God wants me to do as a vocation? And I always say, what do you want to do? 
Well, that's not what I asked. No, what do you want to do? And they'll give me a profession. I said, well, go do that. What God is concerned about, are you doing that with, with the love of God in your heart and the idea of advancing the kingdom and ministering to people around you? But God gives you latitude within his permissive will. And then within that, that there is something called, so this is the permissive will of God, and this is the moral will of God. The moral will of God is what God has put in his word and says this is the Bible, this is the law, this is what you're going to do. And if you get outside of that, you're outside of my will. You'll notice that the permissive will has some dotted lines. There's some, there's some flex in that. But in the moral law, there are no dotted lines. You stay in the lines. When you get out of it, that's why when you, when you violate God's law, you don't feel great. You know, you go like, I, I just blew up God's will in, in, in the moral law, and I feel so good about myself. Nobody ever says that. They'll, they'll say something like this, you're not gonna believe what I did. And I said, trust me, I've heard it all four times over. And one guy, he thinks he's the greatest sinner on planet Earth, and I go, you're an amateur. You see that guy over there? No, I don't do that. But anyway, but, okay, but then we're gonna narrow it down a little bit more, and then there is a specific will of God or plan for your life, and it's more like a dot, and these are some things where God is kind of zeroing in, he's revealed it to you, and he says, within my permissive will, under my sovereignty, I want you to know this is what I have for your life. And you go, oh, now that makes sense. But you see, I can't start with that. I have to start with the sovereignty of God. That is, God is in control of everything, and I have to be walking in the moral law of God and, and keeping myself going in the right direction so that when I'm moving in the direction of my desires of my heart, I'm doing it with the presence and the peace of God. I know that God is on my side. Some people call that the center of God's will. You can use that term if you want or the perfect will of God or whatever that works for you, but the idea is you don't get there apart from the sovereignty of God and the moral law of God himself. So with that being said, let's go to how did Jesus disciple. We're doing this uh, series called Kingdom Discipleship. It's in this uh, new book that we have here, workbook. They're available out in the uh, foyer if you want to grab a copy of it. But let's talk about the, the, uh, the idea of how does Jesus disciple his disciples. So we're going to show you this chart. And it starts out here with the idea of repentance and faith. Every time Jesus called a disciple, he said, I want you to repent. That means stop doing what you're doing and go in this direction, the direction of God, and put your faith in me. So he gathered these, these disciples, and they began to follow him. And as he took them on this journey, he said, you need to know who I really am. And that's called enlightenment. So on one occasion, Jesus said to Peter, who do men say that I am? And they said, oh, you, one of the prophets, they say Elijah. And then he stopped and he said, but who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now the next part of this is so important because Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So you cannot say that Jesus is the son of the living God with clarity, with conviction, without a revelation of the Spirit of God. So he took them on this journey, and then participation in ministry. This happened, started happening disciples about Matthew chapter 10, when he began to call them, now apostles, and he began to give them a task. 
He began to send them out with a task, and he started with smaller things, and then they would build up to greater things as they walked through this. And this entire model is laid out in the scriptures. We have it laid out in the book for you if you wanna follow it. We go in great detail. Then development of leaders. All of a sudden, out of the 12, three began to rise to the top. Peter, James, and John. Same thing's true. In a congregation like this, there are gonna be some that are gonna have a greater desire to learn about God than others. Now, those of you who have that great desire are shocked that not everyone on planet Earth has that great desire, all right? It really is a bit shocking. But I want you to know that there's something in us that longs after God, and if it's in us, we, we just go 100%. Now, that doesn't mean that other people aren't Christians. It doesn't mean they don't love God. It's just like going like, yeah, I don't know why they're so fanatical, as if there's something wrong with them. No, there's nothing wrong with either one of you because, you see, Peter, James, and John had that heart's desire. You hear about them over and over again, and the other nine you don't hear that much about. Jesus takes them, and he begins to develop them a little bit, and what he does is he takes them up on the mountain and, he, and there's a revelation there of the transformation of, of Christ before their very eyes. They're so overwhelmed with it. They said, can we just stay here? Wow, we, we, we saw these Old Testament saints show up and we're here. He says, no, we're not meant to stay here. You're to take the high experiences you have with God and translate them down to common people, all right, who haven't had this, and then you tell them about God and you inspire them about God and you bring them in so that they have a hunger, an insatiable hunger to go after God themselves. Then consecration, reevaluation, and separation. So now he begins to say, are you really willing to pay the price to follow after me? Peter says, I'm gonna go, I'm in. He says, you know what? The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to pay the price? Because what he's doing is like a funnel. He's narrowing down the crowd. And then Peter, remember what happens in some of the last days of Jesus on earth? He denies the Lord. Remember that? No, I don't know him. You know, he was fearful. But who does Jesus select out of the three to be the one who speaks on the day of Pentecost? It's Peter. Peter stands up and you go, who is, is this the guy that tried, denied the Lord? He said, all of Israel, listen, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Is this the same guy? Yes, because he now took on the responsibility of leadership, and he said, I don't have to be pushed anymore. I don't have to be led anymore. Now I will lead. I will lead. But Peter wasn't complete yet because he still had to get the idea of world vision. And it would take a revelation of this vision of of animals being lowered, clean and unclean, down from, from the heaven, and, and it was a picture of the Jews and the Gentiles, you see, because Peter still had prejudice in his heart. He thought it was all about the Jews, and God says, no, it's about the Jews and the Gentiles. You say, what's a Gentile? It's, everybody's not a Jew. Simple, all right? So world vision. So God wants to take us on that journey. Now, let me talk to you about prayer. What prayer is is God's love language. Have you ever noticed you talk to people you like and love? You don't talk to people you don't like. You talk to someone, no, I don't like them. Really, do you, you, yeah, I love them, but you know, only because I have to, because God commands it, but I don't really like them, I don't love them. But the people you like, you can't stop talking to. Why? Because you have something in common, because you relate to one another. Well, when you talk to God, you're talking God's love language. You're saying, God, I love you. I want to spend time with you. God, talk to me more and more and more, and God does that in your life. Let me take you to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. 
Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Anybody do that? Anybody get pulled in another direction, get worried about anything? Raise your hand if you do. Just honest confession is good for you. Some of you never get worried, never raise You said, no, I'm not raising my hand for nothing because I know that's just the first step in getting me to do more than just raise my hand. All right, don't get pulled in or worried about a thing. Be saturated, well, look at this, in prayer throughout each day. You know, you can pray all the time and you don't have to do it verbally. You can be praying in your spirit, talking to God. You can be in a tense situation and you're just inside, you're going, God, you gotta get me out of this mess. God, you gotta give me wisdom. God, you gotta do, God, God, God. You just call on God in that moment and it says, uh, offering your faith-filled request before God with overflowing gratitude. Do you know that there's a difference when, when you pray with gratitude and you pray without it? You ever prayed without gratitude? God, I don't know what you're doing. God, you're really slow. God, all my enemies are prospering, why not me? That's not gratitude. Gratitude is, God, I am thank you, I'm going through this trial. I don't like it, but I'm thankful that I'm going through it because I know you're shaping me more and more into the image of your son, and in the end, it's gonna be better for me. Which, which do you think God prefers to hear? With gratitude, tell him every detail of your life. And then look at the next word. Then, when I, when I follow that pattern, then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. See, the goal in every destination is to get there. That's why when you put kids in a, in a car and you go on a road trip, what's the first thing they ask in the first five miles? Are we there yet? We're all like that, right? We, we start to pray, and are we there yet? God, is the answer here yet? And we want it to be kind of like Chick-fil-A. You know, we go up there, they take our credit card, they take our order, we drive up, a mysterious arm comes out with the sack and says, thank you very much. And we think God should operate like that as well. But he doesn't because he's not interested in getting you to the destination as much as he is in shaping you after his image so that you reflect who he is in every situation you find yourself in life. And that's what God's all about. So how do we pray? We pray daily. Just make it a part of your routine. I'm gonna pray every day, and then I'm gonna pray simple. Simple prayers are always the best prayers. You have a need, tell God what your need is. Praise him in a simple manner. Don't try to impress God. He's pretty, he's pretty well got it figured out. And then pray directly to God. You don't have to pray to someone else. You don't have to go around the corner. You just say, no, God, I'm talking to you. Would you speak to me? God, would you reveal yourself to me more and more? And then when you pray, you pray from heaven to earth instead of earth to heaven. You see, if I pray from, from earth to heaven, I'm thinking about my resources and what I have here. But if I pray from heaven, I'm going, the unlimited resources of heaven are available to me. God, I pray from heaven to earth. That's why Paul told the Ephesians, he said, you know, you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is that? That's what's called a positional truth. That means that, that I'm in Christ, but I'm in heaven from my perspective. I'm supposed to look at life from heaven's perspective and all the resources that are there. And so as I begin to walk through this, you see, we, we see it in Matthew chapter six, uh, verses nine and 10. It says, your kingdom come, our Father which are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Start with the Father, 
Recognize who he is, hallowed, that means make him holy, make him apart, make him separate. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, when, now? It's when you pray it, right? This is not a prayer about your kingdom will come one day and until then we're all in trouble. I saw a bumper sticker the other day, it says, life sucks and then you die. Well, that's, not, that's a great philosophy of life, right? Hey, guess what? God doesn't want you to wait for the kingdom. He wants the manifestation of the kingdom to be here and now. So he says, your kingdom come. When? Now. What's it gonna look like? It's gonna look like people being healed. It's gonna look like people being made well. It's gonna look like reconciliation. It's gonna look like people being saved. It's gonna have all those characteristics of things that look like what the kingdom of God is all about. So it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. So I'm gonna bring, in prayer, I'm bringing heaven to earth. I'm bringing the power of the presence of God to earth in my life. So when I'm talking to people, and they're saying like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. You don't have to do anything, you just have to trust in God right now. Make it simple. Well, what, how do I do that? Just rest in God. Rest in God. Quit trying to fix everything. You know, parents do that for their children. They, they don't want their children to go through any tough times, and in the process, sometimes they thwart the purposes of God in the life of their child by not letting him learn difficult lessons. Hey, guess what? Last time I learned, adults had to learn difficult lessons, and I always learned best through the hard knocks of life. How about you? Never, didn't mean I like it, but that's how life comes and how life teaches us. So answered prayer is evidence of God's kingdom. When, some says, when someone comes to me and says, you're not gonna believe this, this I got this prayer answered. Why are they so excited? Because answered prayers are not supposed to happen on earth. Our entire society and world system tells you that doesn't happen. And when it happens, be shocked, because it's not normal. I'd like to bring the new normal into society and into life where we see more and more answered prayer and all of a sudden people are going, yeah, that's how it works around here. That's just what happens. God answers prayer. God works in our life. That's the kingdom come. That's what we want to see happening. You see, and remember, there's always a tension in your prayer. You say, what about unanswered prayers, Pastor? There's always a tension between God's purposes, the mystery of God's purposes, and God's bigger picture. And you always, it's like a rubber band being pulled tight, and you're trying to figure out, well, how come this prayer didn't get answered, the other one did? Well, instead of trying to fault ourselves with a lack of faith, did you ever think that maybe God had a bigger purpose? God had a plan you don't understand? That one day you will, the Bible says, we will know as we have been known? Did you hear that? One day we're going to know as God knows us right now. We can't know everything that God knows about us right now, but we will one day know as we have been known. And then you, all of a sudden you find yourself in that moment and you go, wow, this is what it's all about. But until that time, you walk by faith, and what faith is, it's reaching into the unseen and pulling it back into the present. That's what faith is. Faith is calling those things that are not as though they are, Romans chapter four. Like my friend used to say, Manly Beasley, he said, you gotta say it so when it's not so in order for it to be so. That's faith. That's taking the unseen and bring it into the reality and go, no, I'm gonna trust God for that now. 
And then all of a sudden, we're, we start walking your life, and guess what? You're walking into the fulfilled promises of God because you're walking in, under the sovereign power of God, in his permissive will, keeping the moral law, and you have that individual will laid out in front of you, so this is where I'm going. It's what I'm doing with God, and there's great peace and rest in that one, amen? Your faith anchors itself in the unseen. I can't see God, but yet I see God. That makes sense? I can't see my eternal soul, but I know I got one. And that's what faith is, it's anchored in the unseen. Prayer is the currency of the realm. You know, if you go into a foreign country, let's say you go to Europe, you're gonna take your, your U.S. dollars, you're gonna exchange them for euros. And then you can buy things, right? Well, guess what? In heaven, if you want to get what's in heaven, you have to use the currency of the realm, and that is prayer. When I pray, it translates into power. When I just talk to one another, it's not, it's not the same thing, because I'm not connecting here. I don't pray to you, I can pray for you, but I pray to God for you. So it's not like directly, it's up and down, if we could use that analogy, and that's how it works. Now, uh, today is kind of a new launch for a relaunch of our prayer ministry. I'm gonna put a slide up here to remind you. Let me ask you something, how many of you need a miracle? Raise your hand if you need a miracle. Okay, those of you who didn't, you will, probably tomorrow. You go, man, I wish I'd have raised my hand, I need a miracle now. Right? Hey, we all need a miracle. We need, and a miracle is God in, injecting himself and his kingdom into your situation to solve the problem you cannot solve yourself. That's what a miracle is. Right? You'll find yourself, and God, what am I going to do? You need a miracle. That's a miracle. I need God to come through. Now, God can do it through somebody else. He can move somebody else. He can, he can do it in mysterious ways through wise counsel. He can do it through the word, and he gives you the wisdom, however he does it. But So what we're going to do is starting on Monday this week, and every Monday through Thursday, the prayer wall will be open. There will be a, a prayer team there to pray with you and for you, uh, as well as after each service, we'll have a prayer team. They'll be wearing a badge like this one. says prayer team. You can go up to them and say, hey, would you pray for me? Or how do I, how do I go to the prayer wall? What do I do on this one? Because we're gonna continue to up the value of prayer in everything we do, amen? And if you wanna be a part of that prayer team, you can go to Link Central. You can find out more details on that. But let me give you another thing about prayer. We pray from a place of abundance. Abundance, not poverty, See, our God is not poor. We might be, but he's not, amen? So when you come to this, you don't come like, God, can I just beg you for something? No, we're sons and daughters of the living God. Have you, has that got hold of you yet? We are royalty. You're royalty. People say, well, I'm just, uh, I'm just an average Christian. No, there are no average Christians. You were bought with the price of the blood of the Lamb of God who gave himself, who rose from the dead, whoever sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for the saints, and he called you by name. He says, you're like a royal diadem in my hand. You're like a precious jewel in my hand, and I turn it every direction, and I see another facet of your glory, another facet of your love, another facet of who you are as a person. No, you are my sons and daughters. You are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus has, you are a recipient of. 
You are seated in the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and power, above every name that is named in this age and the age to come. That's Ephesians 2, 4. And who are you? You are sons of the living God. When you come before, Hebrews says, when you come to pray, you come standing boldly before the throne of grace because you've been given that entree into the throne room of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? So never say I'm just. No, you are a son of God, a daughter of God, and God loves you. Now, when a situation comes, when you pray from a place of abundance, Jesus had gathered 5,000 there. It's called the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, he had kept the people a little long on a sermon. That's how we justify a long sermon. And he kept a little too long. He decided he needed to feed them. So he said to the disciples, what do we have around here? We got five loaves of bread and two fishes. 5,000 people, even a good mathematician can figure out this one isn't gonna work, amen? But if you're, if that is if you're coming from a, pl- a position of poverty versus abundance. Abundance says, you gotta be kidding me, we're gonna have leftovers. If you know the Bible story, that's what happened. All right, so let's pick up the story, Matthew 14. Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish, looking up to heaven. There it is, prayer from heaven to earth. He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to disciples. Okay, what happened? Well, they began to pass it out, and I think the miracle of multiplication took place in this situation because somehow that loaf just kept rebuilding itself. I don't know any other way to look at it. It wasn't like all of a sudden, you know, 5,000 loaves fell from heaven. God always loves multiplication. He's not much into addition. He loves multiplication. So all of a sudden, it's multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. Look what the story says. And he gave thanks, gave the loaves to the disciples. Now, they're, now they've been, now they're like heavenly bread, amen? It's heavenly bread. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Wait a minute. We start with five loaves, two fish, We get all done, everybody's fed, and we've got 12 baskets full of crumbs and leftovers. How did that happen? Same way it happens in your life when you trust God and you go, look at this miracle. I couldn't even see this coming. God blessed me in such a great way. But have you ever noticed how you forget about the miracles and you remember all the problems? If God got you out of one mess, you think God can't get you out of another one? You're his son, you're his daughter. He's looking over you. He's taking care of you. Oh, what if he doesn't come through? That's just dumb. He will. He'll, it'll be in the last five minutes. I guarantee you that much, though. Amen? He never gets early. When God gets early, it's like, I pray, and then it comes. No, he's always on time, his time, and his time is always perfect. Amen? All right, amen. Okay, so look what happens. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. I guess they discounted the guys. Well, there's always more women at church than men, so you know there's 7,000 women, amen? And then we'll just say there's 14,000 kids. We got like 21,000 people showing up and there's leftovers from five loaves and two fishes. That is how God is. God works from a position of abundance. When you pray, you don't pray, oh God, I don't know what I'm gonna do, could you just give me another dollar? And God says, I could, but why do you want that? You need more than a dollar. Why are you asking for a dollar? You remember the guy that, that couldn't walk, the cripple, and he came by and he, he looked at Peter and he said, uh, hey, do you have any pennies? Do you have, you have any, any money for me? He said, silver and gold I have none, but what I have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he jumped up, took his bed, and went home. He was asking for pennies. He didn't know he could ask for legs. 
If you need legs, don't ask for pennies. You need the kingdom, then don't ask for earthly blessings. Ask, pursue the kingdom because in the kingdom is the heart of God. And that's always a pot of gold, amen? So you speak to the solution, not to the problem. When you pray, don't pray for the problem, pray for the solution. You're, what do I need? Bam, bam, bam. I was reading in Paul Youngy Cho's book, The Fourth Dimension, years ago, and a woman came to uh, Pastor Cho and he said, uh, she said, um, I need, uh, would you pray for me? I need a husband. And he said, well, what kind of husband do you want? Just any old husband? You want a tall one, a short one, thin one, fat one, handsome, ugly? What do you want? What kind of husband do you want? Well, I never thought about it, and she went off, and he said, so she said, well, you pray for me. No, no, I can't pray. I don't know how to pray. You might, I might pray for the wrong one, and then you wouldn't be happy with him. So years passed, and, and this woman came up with, this, uh, with her husband and introduced herself. Do you remember me? And he said, no, I don't. And then he re- she told, re- told the story. said, oh, yeah, I do remember. And said, well, I had 15 things down on my list, and these are exactly the 15 things I had, and this is my answered prayer. Have you ever prayed this, God bless me? What kind of blessing you want? What if God says pregnancy? I don't want to be pregnant. <laughs> Are you talking to me? You know what I'm talking about right now? God bless me. What kind of blessing do you want? There's a lot of blessings. Hey, Job, what Job went through was called a blessing. You want that one? Who's going to be more specific now? Amen? All right? <laughs> so you pray from a place of abundance, but you also pray with expectation. You don't pray like, gosh, I hope you come through. No, God, I expect you to because your word, I've been reading in your Bible, and it says, I am to expect. So I pray with expectation, God, that that which you promised you will provide in my life. And then you pray to release the answer. God, just release the answer. Just let the answer be released. Let it begin to flow. Let me give you a scripture for that, Matthew 18, 18. I say to you, whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So what is prayer? It's binding on earth that it might be bound in heaven. I'm calling those things that are not as though they are, Romans 4. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So I can bind and loose, that's a command, that's what it means to be a son and a daughter of the living God. I can bind things. Right now, I want you to think about something that you want to see God do in your life, and I want you to bind it on earth that it might be bound in heaven. We're gonna do that exercise in just a moment. Before I do that, I wanna read something to you. This is not on your screen, so I'll just have to, just have to listen. It's written by Austin Phelps. He says, I come to my devotions this morning on an errand of real life. Now think about this. When you go to, before God in prayer, it's not just, you're not just trying to waste some time there. This is no romance, no farce. I do not come here to go through forms of words. I have no hopeless desire to express. I have an object to gain. That's what prayer is. I have an object to gain. I have an end to accomplish. This is the business in which I am about to engage. As an astronomer does not turn his telescope to the skies with a more reasonable hope of penetrating those distant heavens than I have of reaching the mind of God and lifting my heart to the very throne of grace. Let's stand together. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about something. You need a miracle. You want to see God do something. Maybe it's in your life. Maybe it's in somebody else's life. But you want to see God move. The Bible's already said, whatsoever you bind on earth, you can bind in heaven. 
So I want you right now, I just want you to take your hand and reach out as if you're grabbing a hold of something, you're binding it, okay? It's your prayer request. It's in your heart right now. Maybe you prayed about it for a while. Maybe Holy Spirit just gave you evidence of it today. You said, I hadn't even thought about that, but that's really what I need. You're not begging. You're binding. You're binding on earth, and it might be bound in heaven, okay? It may be that you're loosing, so you're going to loose it here on earth, that it might be loosed in heaven. Whichever direction it's going, have you got it? Repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I bind on earth that it might be bound in heaven. I approach this request with expectation of abundance. God, you're a good God, and I trust you with my life, with my soul, and with my future. And we're gonna sing together. As we sing, I want you to declare there's something very powerful when you declare with your mouth. You can sing this song and in between the words, you're just gonna speak out that which you're trusting God for. Don't worry if your neighbor hears you. Won't hurt him a bit. They're not listening to you and you're not listening to them, but just speak it out. Just say, God, I declare it. I declare it. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a relationship. Whatever it is, just declare it. Make a declaration. Faith follows declarations. Amen?